We are, uh, we're in our series called It's Complicated. And what we're doing is we're unwrapping, basically what my goal, my heart here, is to set us free from the complications. We, uh, we live in a very complicated world, but it doesn't have to be that for us. And so if we can get a hold of the reality that Jesus Christ started at a place that rejected the world and rejected its rules and rejected uh, its oppression, then we could, we could do so much more. So today, I, I've been dying to get to this message. I'm not going to lie. I've had it written for a month, and I am going to say this from now on. What would Enoch do? Now, I know you're familiar with what would Jesus do, but today we're going to talk about what would Enoch do. And I know you're sitting there going, what does that have to do with anything? You might be saying, who is Enoch? I went to high school with Enoch. He wasn't that great a guy. I don't know what's rolling through your mind right now. But I do know this. You don't have to think like everyone else. And what you think is what is going to set the course of your life. And when you follow Jesus, he transforms your thinking. Romans 12.1. And when he does that, when Jesus transforms your thinking, impossibilities become realities. Things change for you. You begin to see the world as a much different place because Jesus is in you. And this is what following Jesus is about. And all this starts with a word that we've, we're studying this month. And it's a Greek word. It's called metanoia. Metanoia is a couple different versions. One's a noun. One's a verb. Doesn't matter. I'm probably going to say metanoia. I'm probably going to say meta a lot, but I'm not talking about Facebook. So I just need you to hang with me, okay? The point is, is that when Jesus began his ministry, and this is, if you didn't catch last Sunday's message, I need you to. And, I, and by the way, if I could just say this humbly as a pastor, I really need you thinking about this word metanoia all month long. This is the anchor and foundation for everything we're going to do and undo this year, okay? And so I just, we need to wrap our head around this idea. So this all begins with a belief system that started at the, in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam walked out of that garden because of sin, because of the lies of the tempter, who we know as Satan or the devil, Adam walked out of the garden with a belief system that was wrong, that was not true. It was not, and there is no evidence in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, that any of these beliefs were confirmed by God. God made announcements, God made declarations of the reality that was, but Adam walked out of that garden believing at least four things. If we worked on this, we could probably come up with 10 or 15, but I want you to focus on these four ideas, the I am's of Adam that were I am nots of Jesus. Jesus often made the statement, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the light of the world. Jesus focused on what he was because he understood that our I am is our identity. Our identity determines the course of our life. And when Adam walked out of that garden, this is what he believed. He believed, I'm inadequate. Sin creates a belief system, and that is what sin is. I realize that most of us have been taught that sins are bad, and certainly they are, because sins hurt people. They hurt you, and they hurt those around you. But that is the root of sins is a singular word, a power called sin singular. 
And when Adam walked out of that garden, sin had entered the world, and sin had created a belief system that Adam, a belief system of inadequacy. And that is what every born human being, firstborn human being, every human being believes. I'm not enough. I'm inadequate on my own. I always need something else, and when I get that something else, I'm going to need something else. So Adam believed he wasn't enough. The second thing he believes he was ashamed. That's what the fig leaf was about. <clears throat> and I'm glad that style trend didn't catch on. Anyway, um, sin creates a belief system of shame. Shame is a powerful, manipulative tool used by media, used by politics to get people to do things that aren't always right. Oh, I'm sorry, and also used by religion. And so Adam walks out of this garden or walks away from the, the sinful moment with this belief system that I am ashamed. Then he walks out, he also has a belief system of I am cursed. And that is the declaration that God made about the curses. But I don't know that God was actually cursing Adam as much as he was stating that Adam had chosen to live in a curse. But nonetheless, Adam's belief was that I'm cursed. And sin believes in this system of lack, the system of curse that no matter what I do, it will fail. No matter what I get, it will never be enough. No matter what I acquire, it's not going to be adequate for me. And the last one I like to point out is I am afraid. He hid from God. And sin creates a belief system of fear. It's important that you understand that sin is a belief system. Sin is us believing things that are not true, particularly about God and secondarily about ourselves. It's not logical if you think about it that God would create this beautiful creation and within days of that creation, God would hate them. It doesn't make sense. And yet that's what the average person believes about God. Uh, it's what the average Christian believes about God. So the accuser uses these. In fact, I think these, the accuser, Satan, the devil, what are you going to call him? I believe that he manipulates this belief system to create this dark world in which we live. And here's why. This is a Michael Maynard extension of what I just said, so you know it's not the scripture or anything. But I believe that this is the belief system of Satan. I believe he believes he's inadequate, which is why he tried to take over the throne of heaven. I believe that he believes that he is shame walking around. He is curse walking around. And he is fear. I think most of the fear we have in our life is actually transported to us by the supernatural entities around us that are afraid. But that's, you know, it's a little mystical and weird, but that's what I think, okay? So, back to our concept. Jesus began in Hebrews 4.17 with this idea, repent. And we talked about last week, and I do encourage you to go back and listen to it again and reflect on it. How that the word repent does not adequately capture what Jesus said. Uh, it's a small piece of what Jesus meant in the word metanoia. And in fact, if you use the New Living Translation, which I use a lot, it, says, it often says repent of sin. And the word repent of sin, the words of sin, are not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say repent of sin. He said repent. Actually, he said metanoia. And why should you repent? Why should you metanoia? Because the kingdom of heaven is near or here, depending on your translation. The kingdom is here. That's what we just sang about. That's why that last song, 
was important to what we're talking about today. Church, everyone thinks their faith is anchored in the idea of going to church, but Jesus knew and taught that the core of your faith has to be anchored in kingdom, and church comes out of kingdom, not kingdom out of church. But through the millennia, religion has flipped it on its head, putting the church, the cart before the horse. And so Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, in church, in Christian circles, evangelical circles especially, we talk about the gospel a lot, the good news. And I remember when I was a, a young minister, even in my, long before I was a minister, because people finding Jesus and becoming believers and following Jesus, that has always been very important to me. And so I remember searching the scriptures. I, I, I know several ways to share the gospel, so to speak. Uh, the Romans road was the one I grew up on. If you know these, you are, if you know what I'm about to say, you're old. It's okay. Old is beautiful and not for the faint of heart, but you're old, okay? The, the, the Romans road. Uh, then there was the four spiritual laws. Then there was good news, bad news. Then there was share Jesus without fear. It's just all these methods of trying to communicate to people the gospel. But in my youth, I began to search the scriptures because the first question I got to ask myself, and it's a question I ask myself a lot, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus share the gospel? And that's how. This was how Jesus shared the gospel. Metanoia, the kingdom is near. That was how he did it. And he, Metanoia, we discussed last week, and I can't go through all of that today, but basically he, he says meta, which you're familiar with Facebook, and the attempt of Facebook to create the metaverse. That's not a new idea. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. He said, hey, the, the, I need you to... To meta, I need you to transcend. I need your thinking to become higher. I need you to think differently than everyone around you about God and about you. And then the, the second part, meta, noye, noye is anchored in the word nos, which is your sense of self in community. How you understand yourself in the world in which you live, in the family in which you exist. And so Jesus is saying, I need you to come up higher. Because what you see around you is not a definition of what the Father has for you. You were, you were not created for this. You were created for this. That's metanoia. It's you realizing, okay, I, and I, I don't know, I'm probably going to step on top of myself here later. Jesus begins at repent, and by doing so, it begins with a message of rejection. Everything you see around you, every governmental system you've ever looked at, every rock star, idol, fictional story, religious system, all of that is on a level of earth and darkness. Only Jesus can take you to the kingdom and elevate your thinking. Because only Jesus knew the Father. So Jesus begins here. Our thinking is broken, so you have to rise above that thinking. So that being said, I got a little caveat here before I get into the message. The, the root of Enoch, which I'm pretty excited about. And it's the 
concept of discipleship, and I've, I've really felt like I needed to address this for a while, because at Ordinary Faith, we really want to be a disciple-making church. And we encourage our parents, children, we want you to be disciple-makers. And it didn't hit me until I was sitting around talking to some people uh, about this subject about a month ago that that's an intimidating idea. For some reason to me, it's not because I have a different understanding of it. But I began to realize that when I ask a parent, hey, man, it's really important that you disciple your kids. I, I live in a modern age where people have assumptions. We haven't metanoiaed yet. So our understanding of our reality is bound by a horizontal sight, not our vertical reality. Can you write that down? I need to remember that one. Um, she's my wife and scribe today. So um, let me help you, parents. Jesus, when he was training his disciples, usually gave the pop quiz before the lesson. That was a standard Jewish way of teaching, but nonetheless, that was how he did it. It's not how we do it in the West. In the West, we have months of classes and then a final exam in which you've forgotten the months of classes. And you didn't listen during the classes because you still thought you knew it all until you got to the test. That's the Western mind. But that's not how the human mind actually works. Jesus knew that learning actually begins at a point of failure. It actually begins at the point of failure. We live in a world that's afraid to fail and doesn't want to fail at anything, and it is, it's killing us because failure is where you learn. In fact, I will argue that failure is probably the only place we learn. Until we fail, we're too proud to learn. So Jesus started at humility. Hey, boys, here's the test. Oh, you all failed. Are you ready to listen now? What am I trying to tell you? When it comes to being a disciple maker as a parent, as a friend, as someone else, you're starting at a place of failure. That is how it works, okay? You begin there, and so you know what I think is the most important part, parents in your homes? It's not having the right answers. It's authenticity. It's following Jesus and making mistakes and being honest with your children about your failures. I learned more, and I tried to teach my children from that perspective. When I got it wrong, I let them know I got it wrong. So that's how you disciple your kids. You live your life. You try to follow Jesus. You mess up. You apologize. You own it, and you go again. Shazam, discipleship. <clears throat> I know you love Shazam. Every time I say Shazam. All right. That was the introduction. <clears throat> Don't worry, it's a short sermon today. We should be done by four. That was a joke. That was a joke. Enoch was the very first guy in the world to reject what everyone else accepted as fact. That's what makes him special for us today. Enoch is <clears throat> Genesis 5.22. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God, 
And then one day, he disappeared because God took him. That's the story of Enoch. We're going to look at another passage about him in just a minute. But I just want you to see that Enoch was the first guy to reject the lies. Everybody else operated under the belief system of Adam. I am ashamed. I am cursed. I am inadequate. I am afraid. God is scary. God is out to get me. God wants to punish me. God barely tolerates me, so I should not come close enough to upset him. And here comes Enoch. And the Bible tells us that Enoch walks with God. It's a couple of Hebrew words that describe, or the one Hebrew word that describes that walk. And that walk literally means to walk at ease. It means to walk conversant. It wasn't like God and Enoch were just running laps around the rec center trap, trying to stay thin. They were hanging out. They were spending time together. Enoch was learning the father, and the father was conversing and revealing and inspiring Enoch. Nobody else did this. Here's what I believe is true. Anyone could have. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. The blood hadn't been poured out yet. I mean, Enoch is the one who comes along and says, you know what? I think everyone else is wrong. Now, I know we've all thought that at one time or another and learned a very valuable lesson. But when it comes to God, everyone else is wrong. They don't know who he is. And here's why. Because Jesus said, John tells us about Jesus, that there's only one person who's seen the Father. And it was the one who came from heaven to earth, and he's the one who reveals him to us. If your understanding of the Father did not come from Jesus, it's wrong. It's wrong. Because Jesus' understanding of the Father was very first words. This is my dearly loved Son, who I greatly enjoy. That's who the Father is. Someone who loves you and enjoys you. So, Enoch was the seventh. The Bible tells us he's the seventh from Adam. Seven generations. Number seven is an interesting number in the Bible, which I won't go into. But all I want to say about it is this, is that Enoch's dad didn't walk with God. And his granddad didn't walk with God. And his great-granddad, and his great-great-granddad, and his great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad, all the way back to Adam, none of those walked at ease in a conversant relationship with the Father. So Enoch rejected the lie that everyone else expected and believed was true. He was completely unique for his world. He clearly did not believe what they believed about God. So that's a great question to start asking ourselves. What would Enoch do? He would get close to his father. He would not fear his father. He would come close. Everyone else keeps their distance, and Enoch just comes closer. Everyone else is hiding, and Enoch comes out in the open. They were fixing all of their own problems. And they were doing all of their own things. And Enoch was enjoying walks with dad. So, Enoch came close. So let's take this another step further. The writer of Hebrews delves into the concept of Enoch for a minute. 
in the great faith chapter, which is an awesome chapter in Hebrews 11, about all the amazing faith that has existed throughout the story of God. <clears throat> but in Hebrews 11:5, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He, he disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Let me go on to the next text and then we'll break this down a little bit. It, and it is impossible to please God without a faith. So you see the writers making a connection. It was by faith. This guy, Enoch, walked with God and pleased God. Impossible to please God without faith. And then he goes on to say, anyone. So let's say that word together. Anyone. One more time, just to make sure we're all in the same bus. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely, who honestly, who authentically, authentically, authentically is not a word, authentically seek him. Enoch came close to the Father because he believed. What does it mean to believe? He was persuaded. He was convinced Surely, Enoch sat around with all his normal, ordinary friends. Surely, they all had opinions about God. I think God's angry. I think God's out to get us. I don't think God really likes us. I kind of think God tolerates us. Pretty sure God's ignoring us. Enoch's sitting in that same echo chamber that everyone else is, and Enoch has this crazy metanoia idea. I wonder if God actually wants us to come close. I wonder if God can be known. So Enoch stepped into a new reality because he was persuaded. He believed in God. He did not believe in the bull. I didn't finish the word because it's church. I'm just kidding. <sighs> Wasn't even thinking that until I said it. He did not believe in the garbage that they believed. He was persuaded. He believed in God. Faith, faith is not hard. It's not mystical. That's why we're ordinary faith, by the way. Faith is just simply believing that God and what he said is trustworthy. It's believing that God is good. It's believing that God radically loves you and even adores you. That's the beginnings and the roots of faith. It is not mystical money by which we buy stuff from God. Please understand that. Faith is a simple acceptance of who the Father is, especially when it's in the face of everyone else who is wrong. And so Enoch steps into this new reality and he begins to come close to the Father into a new world. What if we could do the same? What if in our faith, God was not an accessory, God was not a to-do list, but God was a father to be enjoyed and to draw close to? How would that change our faith? How would that take the fear out of our faith and the shame out of our faith and the inadequacy and the lack all coming out because now we're not depending on what we can do, what we can provide, we are dependent upon the Father's goodness and kindness, and we know that He is good. 
So we come close. So, excuse me, Jude also had something to say about Enoch. So we read the story of Enoch as reported by Moses in uh, Genesis. Then we looked at the story of Enoch as recorded by the writer of Hebrews, who we don't really know who that is. We just have our guesses. And then we have Jude coming along. And Jude says in Jude 1.14, and I'm going to have fun with this, so don't get scared, all right? Jude 1.14, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. And he said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones. Before I get into the second part of this verse, I just want you to think about that. There's a countless number of people who are going to believe like Enoch believed that God could be drawn close to. That this is what Christianity is. Christianity is coming to the belief, the persuasion that God is good and that God loves you. This is what it is. It's not a series of to-do lists and duties and clubs and the calendar appointments. It's coming close to God. That's Christianity. Anything that is not coming close to God is not Christianity. It is a form of religion without power. Amen. It's okay. If you don't agree with me, I understand. Uh, But I'm going to keep going. So the Lord's coming with thousands, countless thousands, myriads, an unknown number who believed as Enoch believed. (laughs) Get this, Enoch is prophesying because Enoch saw something in his time with God. He saw that there would be an uncalculable number of people just like him. That's where this prophecy came from. See? People who believe. People who believe they could come close to God. Now the second part. Verse 15. To execute judgment on the people of the world. He'll convict every person of all the ungodly things they've done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Whoa! God's going to straighten things out. i got to do a little think. i got to do some thinking corrections here, though. Because whenever we read about judgment in the Bible, and particularly God as the judge, we, from our horizontal reality have picked up some definitions and lenses that are not part of the reality of Scripture. And judges is one of them. When you think of a judge in the Bible, when you read the Bible and you think of a judge, you see someone with a gavel sitting on a a big risen podium passing judgment. You cannot, this stands for Revelations too, but I'm just throwing that out there to be a pain, You cannot interpret Scripture from the basis of the culture in which you live. You you interpret Scripture from the interpretation of the Scripture. The Scripture explains it itself. And do you know where we get our definition for a judge in the Bible? It's going to shock you because there is actually a book in the Bible named Judges. We're out here getting our definitions for what a judge is from a guy sitting on a platform in a Western culture, and we have a whole book in the Old Testament showing us what a judge is. I'm calm. I'm calm. You know what a judge is? A judge is a deliverer. A judge raids, walks, charges into danger and lies and oppressive cultures and delivers the people of God. 
That's what a judge does. A judge in Scripture does not sit banging a gavel. Guilty, guilty, guilty! Which is what you think God's doing. God is not that kind of judge. He is an old covenant judge, or he's a new covenant judge with an old covenant definition where he charges in and he delivers. And he's done that since day one. All right. I would say I'm calm now, but anything could happen at this point. The point is, is that when Enoch, the vision that Enoch saw that's recorded for us in Jude is that there are a lot of people like Enoch who reject the horizontal definition of God and they see a God who loves them, who adores them, who enjoys them, and they walk into that reality. And when Jesus returns, the Lord Jesus returns. You're going to hear that phrase a lot throughout this year. That, By the way, Jesus is Lord is the foundational reality of the Christian church. And so when the Lord Jesus returns, He's going to have in His wake all these people who believe something differently. And when those people come back, they're going to say to a world, through their, the evidence of their, who they are, what they've done, how they look that day, the fact that they're in the wake of Jesus, when He returns and that crowd comes with Him, they're going to declare to the world, you lied about my father. That's the judgment. That's the conviction. Because the world right now is, according to Romans chapter, uh, you know, I'll get to that verse in a minute. Well, let me get to it now. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by wickedness, by their wickedness. They're lying about God. They're saying God doesn't care. They're saying God doesn't exist. They're saying God doesn't love. They're saying that God's out to get you. They're saying it's all God's fault. Think this through for a minute. We make all of our decisions without ever consulting God. Bad things happen, and it's God's fault. God didn't do it. So when they come back, they will tell the truth about who the Father is. And every person who in their pride and in their sin and in their neglect and in their agnosticism and in their atheism, all based in pride and sin and the abuse of others, the manipulation of others, they will declare, you did not know what the Father was like. Look at us dressed in robes of righteousness in an army riding horses covered in white, filled with light. Look at us this is what the Father's like. You in your darkness, you suppress the truth. But we who are the light of the world, because our Savior is the light of the world, this is what your Father really wants for you. Do you understand that's what God wanted for Adam? It wasn't a pop quiz. It wasn't God just putting Adam in the garden, going, okay, let's see if he passes or fails. Maybe, maybe. God was putting Adam in that garden because he wanted glory and righteousness for him. He wanted victory and courage for him. And Adam chose to believe things that were not true. So we take this idea of Enoch and the returning believers and those who have believed in God and believed that he was different than everyone else said. And now we turn to what Paul wrote in Ephesians. And Paul said in Ephesians, God's purpose in all of this, and this is coming at the conclusion of the story of Christ, the preeminence 
or how important Jesus is. God's purpose in all this was to use the church, the ecclesia, the Greek word, which means assembly. It doesn't mean building. It doesn't mean cathedral. It better means the community. To use the community of Christ, the followers of Jesus, to display his wisdom. In its rich variety, I love that, God, God's wisdom is in rich variety. We're often about trying to copycat things to achieve past experiences we've had with God, but God's always changing things up. In rich variety, to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That Paul's telling you there's more going on than meets the eye. There's more going on in your world than just what you're able to achieve, than all the bad things that happen to you at the hands of people. There are forces at work around you. So he's doing this to display in the rich variety of his power all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I need you to understand that the purpose of the assembly, the church, the ecclesia, is to demonstrate to, to all the enemies of God, whether they be supernatural or natural, that God is good, that God is love, that God has an incredible plan that's working out in people's life. He has an incredible purpose for your life, for you, for us, for the church. And in working that out, he's making a statement to all of his enemies, whether natural or supernatural. He's telling them, hey, I'm good. You're an idiot, but I'm good. See, look at my son Jesus. Look at my people who believed. Look at the ones who rejected the lies all around them and metanoiaed, rose to a reality far above everything around them. A truth that God is love. God loves them, enjoys them, adores them. That God has done everything. From Adam's first sin, God already had a plan in place to restore mankind. Before the first dumb thing happened, God had a genius plan in place to satisfy all of it. Adam was wrong. The world is wrong. Everything you can sense with your five senses is going to have a twist to it. That's not going to be the father. It's time for an awakening. And see, this is what metanoia or repentance is about. It actually starts at an awakening, an inspiration, a realization. God isn't who I thought he was. God's better than I ever dreamed. God has hopes and dreams for me that far surpass any hopes or dreams I could ever have for myself. That I could follow God? Okay, this might be a leap. I could follow life, follow God, and my life could get more difficult. And yet, what would come out of my life would be far more advantageous and far more a blessing to those around me and those I meet in my future. You see, this is what the church was supposed to be doing all along. Our lives, our words, our behaviors are all supposed to be testimonies to how good God is. 
Jesus even taught it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. Let your good works demonstrate the goodness of God. Paul taught it again in Ephesians when he talked about how that we're God's masterpiece to show forth his goodness. See, this is what Christianity is. It is a demonstration of the loveness and the, the love and the goodness of God. I was going to say goodness first. It got inverted. Okay. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. That is longer than most of you have been alive. I know. Not all of you, but most of you. Do you think on the very first day that Enoch walked out in the wilderness or went to a quiet place? Or what, Do you think on the very first day that Enoch got it exactly right? Discipleship begins in failure. 300 years in a clock with God. I don't know the conversation. I'm thinking it went something like this. You know, God, this is what I think. And then I bet the father went, man, that is interesting, Enoch. <laughs> kind of like a parent, you know. Like <laughs> Sorry, I just had some flashbacks from my youth. Um, let me get past those. Okay, okay we're good. <sighs> That's interesting, Enoch. Have you thought of this? I wonder how many times that that conversation played out between the father and Enoch. And here's what I think happened. This is my opinion. I think after 300 years, which was a little bit more than a third of the life of an individual at that point in time, after 300 years, one day, the last little piece fell in place. And Enoch realized, I think home is with you and not here anymore. I think home transitioned. So I think I'd like to go home. And I bet the father said, I have been waiting for this day. You know, that's what your death is whenever it comes. It's the father on the other side of that door, ready for his child to come home. You know your life here is a blink anyway, right? It's literally just a blink. I'm telling you, I remember when I was 20, I thought I'd never be 30, and now I'm 50 plus. Just went like that. It was 10 minutes ago. My kids were born, and they moved out. My wife made me move them back in for another 20 years, but then... <laughs> That was the best joke I have today. That was <laughs> kind of true. I, I just want you to understand something about God that you may not understand. He wants you, the real you. He doesn't want the stylized, religified version of you. He doesn't want the cleaned up, spit-shined version of you. He just wants you. He doesn't want a mask. He doesn't want you hiding. He wants everything you are and everything that you think is wrong with you to come close to him. That's what the Father wants. And that's what I'm asking you to do today because that 
is metanoia. That is the epiphany or the inspiration, the realization that you need to realize that the Father wants you to come close. Are there other things we need to metanoia? Sure. But I only have time for one sermon today. And this is it. Enoch looked at everyone around him and he realized, you're all wrong. Seven generations of somebodies. You're all wrong. That's not who the Father is. So why don't you find out who the Father is? Why don't you draw close and do it poorly? Mess up, make some mistakes, have some crazy harebrained ideas and draw close to the Father because that's the only way you're going to learn. Because those mistakes are what humble us enough to actually listen and believe something different. And that's what Christianity is, isn't it? It's believing something different. So, what would Enoch do? Well, I don't know the particulars, but I know this. When given an opportunity to come close to the Father, which Jesus has purchased for us, direct access to Father God, Enoch would come close.